Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And just like the announcer said, I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. And this is the final episode of season two of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. Um, it's been a blast. If you go, if you're a new listener, go back, go back to the season one. The guest list and the interviews we have done have been absolutely amazing. Uh, but every now and again, I schedule in a break to recharge and to think of new ways to do the podcast even better the next year. Um, but before we sayonara this podcast, please, one last time, let's give respect and honor to our sponsors. Uh, and uh, yes, I know, because I'm a listener of podcasts too, sponsors or having to go through the sponsor thing at the beginning of a podcast can be the pain, a pain in the butt. But it's kind of how things get done, and uh, they're here because they support us, and they support the podcast, they support the FTCA and what we're doing, and um, and they support the profession as a whole. So they're they're great people, um, and I appreciate them deeply for what they've done for us for season two, and hopefully we've been able to reciprocate by getting you guys interested in their services and their products. So, of course, the American Chiropractic Association. Uh, you definitely want to get up on membership if you're not a member now. Uh, and then we'll see you at Engage 2020, which is the National Chiropractic uh, Legislative Conference. It's now called Engage 2020, and it's going to be a great event. So hopefully I'll see you there in Washington, D.C. And actually just in a couple months. Uh, and don't forget Parker Seminars. Uh, Parker Vegas is always a must-go-to as well as the Parker Seminars event in Dallas, Texas, which is in October. Um, that's a great event, and Parker Seminars is, they, they've, they've been around forever. They are the, the giants, and they do great things. So uh, continue to support Parker Seminars. There's a lot of things to go to, aren't there? Um, but if you, if you love what we're doing, then you got to go to the things. And uh, Parker Seminars, ACA events, and the FTCA events, uh, they're definitely the ones you want to have on your schedule. And we've got Pain Zone. I can't tell you how many times we have mentioned Pain Zone on this podcast, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's a great product, and you should definitely look into it for your practice and your patients. Um, and go to ipainzone.com and get some free samples if you don't have the free samples yet. Uh, and get yourself, make sure you have that product on your shelf and on your, uh, what would you call it, your workbench? I have a little... I have a little cart that I wheel around uh, in the treatment rooms and it's like a, it's my little workbench <laughs> and um, uh, miracle wave advanced musculoskeletal therapies, home of the miracle wave. If you're in the market for a extracorporeal shockwave device, you want to check out the miracle wave and give Mary Edna and Gerard a call and make good friends with them because they're good friends to have and chiropractic success Academy. And if you don't know about the Chiropractic Success Academy, uh, we, uh, Dr. Kevin Christie and myself, 
or the Chiropractic Success Academy. You can think of it almost like a YouTube of uh, practice, business, and clinical development skills. Um, so, so lots of neat videos on, on learning new things about practice and, and upping your game. Um, if you go to csacircle.com right now, uh, Dr. Christy and I have put together a little gift for everybody. It's a four-part video series, and it's chock full of stuff, uh, little gifts and information. It's worth it. Wait, it's free. So is it worth it? It's more than worth it because it's free or something like that. So check out that. It's at csacircle.com. And uh, today's guest is Dr. Greg Friedman. He has been on the podcast quite a bit. Uh, that's because he's one of my favorite people to podcast with. Because a podcast with Greg Friedman really isn't a conversation. My job during these episodes is just push record and let him go. Now, sometimes when we let him go, some explicitive, uh, uh, expl ex explicit words come out along the way. So if you, are, if you have a sensitive heart and sensitive ears to cuss words, uh, this will not be the podcast for you, even though it only happens a little bit. It's not that horrible. Um, the dude likes the F word. So get used to it as when you listen to this podcast. At the end, we get really fired up and we, we get passionate. So uh, Dr. Greg Friedman runs gotdocumentation.com, and he's passionate about teaching all of us a very simple thing, and that is if we can, we can gain a lot of power in these worlds that we would like to influence if we just can document properly. Um, it's the language that everybody's speaking, and it's a great language to speak if you want to prove that what you're doing is actually working. So uh, check out gotdocumentation.com if you've not taken one of Dr. Friedman's uh, courses. Uh, it is a must-take. It's great. So check that out and enjoy this podcast with Dr. Greg Friedman. And it is the final podcast, so thank you all very much, so much for listening to Season 2 of FTCA. Uh, the pod or forward the podcast of the FTCA. And if you have any questions or comments or ways to make this better or suggested recommended guests, you can send them to contact at forwardthinkingchiro.com. That's contact at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Enjoy the podcast and we will see you at forward 2019. Uh, unless you've listened to this after forward 2019, then you missed it. Uh, but talk to you later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are at the final podcast episode of season two of Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My special guest who gets the honor. Actually, I feel um, like I failed you, Dr. Friedman, that I didn't have you on sooner in the season because you are one of my favorite guests. Oh, well, that's okay. You're forgetting. You know why? Because you keep it real. And I think um, today is a, a very... It's very appropriate today to talk about sort of like um, moderation in our thought, especially on this evidence-based side of the chiropractic spectrum. But before we get into that, I'll bring it back in. Uh, you are going to be speaking at Forward 2019 St. Louis. It's uh, September 20th through the 22nd. And you are also the end. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You didn't get that. I, I sent it by Pony Express. It didn't arrive in your Arizona cabin. Huh. Okay. I'll, I'll look for it. Um, and then I also asked you to be the MC of the show as well. So to bring your, your wit and your charm. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to it. You're Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Good looks. Mm, mm, mm. 
The key reason why we asked you and the key reason why we're having this event is all the fire you started uh, at Forward Kansas City when you asked people to rise up. Um, that, was, that was fun. How did they do? Have people risen up yet? Uh, so there's one guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I, I am well aware that like, not everybody is wired to – go on a crusade and and that's fine. I'm not even asking for that. Even if it's rising up in your family, yeah. in, your, in your community uh, and you you know, just do that kind of a thing. And then there'd be others who are like, like I, I, I tell these young chiropractors who are just, just fresh out of school or about to graduate. I'm like, I don't want you guys being so afraid and freaked out about when you hear us going on and on about the evidence-based stuff. I said, I want you to be innovators. I want you to think out of the box. I want you to come up with a technique that you, you, you just put a few things together and you're like, wow, that seemed to work pretty well. And then, and then write down exactly what the hell you did and then show me some outcomes. See if you could reproduce that yourself. And if you can, call some of your buddies. And say, hey, I, I just noticed this. I want you to see if you could reproduce it too. And if you could get the, the same reproducible outcomes, then we can get it to some of our research guys and see what the fuck actually just happened with that. And that's how we can actually get something done. I said, but otherwise, we get stagnant on these, you know, these various techniques that we do. And I don't want to see us doing that. I think a lot of people, um, they want – and this is totally human nature. It's not uh, a, a condemnation of Kairos or anybody else. They just want people to tell them what to do. And it, it fits, it fits our profession because our profession is somewhat linear. You graduate from school and then you practice. And there are some very few rare cases where someone might break that mold and become a researcher or an educator or something else where they don't need to get their main source of income from practicing. But for the most part, we all just, it's almost like a trade and not a profession. Yeah. And so, so you tend to get more people that are just like, uh, tell me what to do. Tell me how to follow it. Give me my certification so I can say I'm allowed to do it. And then let me, let me apply that trade upon people. But I think the profession's, if we want to be a true profession, we've got to broaden our horizons to and open our eyes to the fact that we need uh, practitioners and we need researchers and we need innovators yeah. and we need leaders and we need politicians. And I don't, I don't categorize politicians and leaders in the same category, <laughs> but we need all of those people yeah. and all those people need to be working together towards some sort of direction. Um, which will ask somebody at some point, they will have to rise up to do one of those things, maybe a couple of those things, or maybe just be the best they can. Like you said, in their own household, their own family, uh, you know, uh, yeah. you can always just eat a little better. That would be rising up, brush your <laughs> teeth in the morning. That's a really good start. If you don't do that. You know, it was funny. The, uh, that whole rise up thing that I did last year came from, because I really liked that song. Uh, the singers Andre Day, and then I have a, a a slide in my seminars of a little nine-year-old girl that sings that on America's Got Talent, like a year or two ago. I just really, I love the song. I love the meaning behind the song, and so I did a thing, you know, around that. And then I did not plan on doing the rise up thing at the end the way I did. I didn't plan on that at all. That was that part was 
spontaneous. And I'll, <laughs> it was so funny because I because you brought this up recently in a post and I was like, I said, I remember it was like, it was like yesterday. I said, I, you know, I looked at everybody and I said, rise up. And they just looked at me like nothing. <laughs> we <laughs> we like, don't do that. We don't do that here. We don't try to get excited. Rise up. It's done nothing. And I'm like, Jesus, what the <laughs> So I looked at this one one I'm like, no, really, serious. I whisper on me, really, right? Stand up. Stand. Help me out here. Help me out. Rise up. Stand so up. So once because I knew I knew that once I could get one person to stand up, I, I figured I had it. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is like every comedian's worst nightmare. I'm losing my life. <laughs> what Greg did for the listeners that were not at Forward Kansas City was he gave a compelling uh speech at our TED Talks and then uh at the end, he asked people to be motivated, take action, and then rise up. And he wanted actually people to stand up and uh, stand up and like physically stand up out of their chair. And everyone was just sort of sitting. But then one got up and then like three or four got up yeah. and then everybody got up and then we felt it. And that set the tone for the rest of the event. It was cool. That was cool. Um, but it now we can get on to this uh, conversation about modern modernity modern thinking not not living too far out on the edges of thought in chiropractic but also not occupying the dead center either like you want i'm the the easiest way to encapsulate it is that i i would love to encourage people to be open-minded but not so open-minded that their brains fell out yes and um in the in the facebook group itself for the forward thinking chiropractic alliance we seem to have some very rigid thinkers towards this evidence-based side. I'm sure you can go to some sort of alternative universe and there's another Facebook group with other rigid thinkers who are on the more um, loose thinking, straight chiropractic side. I don't know what you call it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, um, I think we need some general ground rules of how we should operate. And I know those general ground rules are all floating out there already. But then once you understand the ground rules, then can we encourage people to become innovators, researchers, thought leaders, uh, and all that sort of stuff? So, I'm actually uh, excited these days about how we've got more and more chiropractors wanting to go into the research side, which I think is great. I, you know, it fascinates me. It's not, I'm not wired for that personally, but I love that we have more and more looking, going into that kind of a thing. I'm also really really excited about what's going on in Europe and there's some great research going on out there. So I can't, I told my wife that I said, and I, I, I was so bummed. I was supposed to go to uh, Berlin in uh -huh. March and then something came up and I couldn't go, but I told my wife, I said, new plan. Cause our, my, our daughter just turned 21 years old yesterday. Our oldest child is now 21. Can you imagine? Wow. No. So uh, I'm like new plan. I said, we're going to go to the ECU conventions every year. Every year I yeah. want to do that. So I'm planning on doing the one in Utrecht in 2000. And <laughs> I just like saying it, Utrecht. And, uh, and I want to go every year. And I want, to, I want to hear what's going on with the I want to meet all these people. I want to see what's going on there. And part of it's selfish also because, to be honest with you, you know, my, my whole, you know, my thing is documentation. And that is one thing that we can actually do. Uh, as a profession, if we choose to, and that's something that actually can be standardized. 
And if we standardize it without us all looking exactly the same, but certain things should be standardized in the format. And holy shit, we could do that and really just raise the raise the bar just from doing that. And I want to do that internationally. I want that to be a global thing for chiropractic. Yeah, that was a question I just kind of thought of. Do you understand very well international differences in documentation? Are there many differences? Is it pretty standard? Yeah, that's. I, I've asked a few people, in, in, in like in Canada, for example, um, there's only certain provinces of Canada who seem to care about it. I'm like, that's odd. In Europe, you run into, I would imagine where the school, where there are chiropractic colleges, it might be a little bit better there. But there's a lot of Europe that I'm told is so unregulated. It's just like the Wild West out there. And you got non-chiropractors saying they're chiropractors. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. So I'm not exactly sure how to how to get to that part, but I figure I, I at least want to go to the European stuff and meet all these people that I've met online over the last few years. And some of these guys I crack up with because, you know, like, you know, some of these guys are from Sweden and Denmark and I started going to Google translate and like talking trash to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fun. There are, there are a lot of parts of the, of the world where this word chiropractic is not some sort of protected yeah. entity, you know? It's like a, it's like Xerox for a copy machine or so. It's it's kind of a. And in some countries, like in Greece, if you say you're a chiropractor, people would just sort of like not even know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but I think we can we if we can standardize at least a part of the profession internationally, I think that could that could at least help us move forward. I mean, get to the next level because other because right, the way it is still right now, and we're better than we used to be, but still as is right now all over the place. And, you know, I've been, I review records and I've been reviewing a lot of records in the last few months and, uh, I, and for like personal injury and, and for multiple states. And it's just horrifying. And it's really tragic because I'm costing these doctors money. Well, no, they're costing themselves money, but right. uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, if you only knew and you should know by now how to, I got pissed on one the other day. I was telling my wife about it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This, this guy's bill was like over $8,000, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that if it's justified. And I'm like, the way that he documented, I'm like, has this guy never been to a seminar? And so I actually found him online to go to his website. And he graduated like in 2002. That's like 17 years ago. Have you really not been to any seminar? I don't care if you go to mine or somebody else's, but this is, this is all foreign to you? Because I, I cut him off. I ended up taking his bill from over 8000 bucks to, to under $800. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And I'm like, gosh, you, you fucking idiot. Just to learn <laughs> how to do this and it, you would have been fine. You would have been fine. I think, you know, it's just you don't, get, you don't get tested on it enough. And you can get away with it for years. Yeah, that's so true. You just keep doing it and until someone says no. I get these doctors that tell me, they said, well, I've gotten paid on all the." I said, that's because they haven't lasted for your records yet. They haven't asked for your records yet. That's right. When they ask for your records, it's, it's, it's going to happen. I said, you know, you may be fine with your cash paying patients. Although, everyone, oh, I'm a cash practice, so I'm, I'm fine. I don't have to worry about that. Really? One of the worst cases I've ever been involved with was a guy that ended up losing his license. And he was an all-cash practice. And it, and it, it was tragic. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. You, even if there's a 1% chance of... Of you getting in, I said, I don't want you having that kind of stress on your life. You know, malpractice stuff comes up. You know, the common denominator with malpractice cases that I look at is the documentation. You document reasonably 
and we could back you up. You don't document it reasonably. All we could do is give an opinion. They're going to find some other knucklehead that gives an opposing opinion, and now where are you? So it becomes difficult. Yeah, they got a, uh, on the newest Dave Chappelle special on Netflix, he's got a funny joke where uh, some celebrity is literally incriminating himself over the phone. (laughs) It's inappropriate for the podcast because it's Dave Chappelle, but uh, it's even inappropriate for like explicit words. Yeah, you just can't go there. But the guy, the celebrity, it's uh, R. Kelly, you know, so that'll give you a pretty good insight on what they're talking about. It uh, is incriminating himself over the phone over and over and over again. And the Dave, the punchline from Dave Chappelle is like, you got to give your attorneys a chance, you know, (laughs) at least like help everybody out by doing a good job. Do, do your end. Uh, You feel like with your seminars, you're preaching to the choir. You feel like, uh, you know, you know, right. You know that the people who need to be there aren't there. Well, I, I know that there are a lot of people that are not there yet do that but the ones who do come into my seminars i don't think they're quite the choir yet uh i think a lot of them are they're a little worried i i find that probably the majority of the doctors that 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 attended my seminars have been in practice for 15 years or more and i thought that was interesting and then what happens is i get these these uh, younger docs and that are just out of school and they kind of come in with the attitude like yeah we learned this in school i'm like well kind of you learned kind of a little bit of this and that but they're still teaching some stuff that is just flat out wrong because unfortunately i'm afraid that some of the teachers at the schools at least for this particular subject documentation may not be current with stuff i mean stuff has changed in the last 20 years or so so if they're teaching so i mean i remember i was i was amazed when at forward kc last year on the thursday night when we were talking to students remember that yeah, uh-huh. and I asked them. I said, "What, what are you guys learning to do as for treatment plans right now? What do you tell a new patient? How how often you want to see them?" And and the student, she raised her hand and she said, "Well, you know, we tell them for acute care, you know, three times a week for X number." I'm like, "Wait, really? They're still teaching that?" And I'm like, "Do you know where that came from? The whole three times a week, twice a week, one? You know where that came from? Nobody knew. I said it's practice management." Yeah. In fact, it was Parker seminars in particular, and I'm not bagging on Parker, Bill Morgan. I let you know I love. Better you. not. Hey, watch so, out now. But here, I, I've been going to Parker seminars since I'm 13 years old. I'd go with my parents, and th- God bless Jim Parker because before Jim Parker was around, chiropractors did not even examine patients. Did you know that? They didn't <laughs> examine them. So he got him an examining. So I, I'm sure that back in those days, probably in the 60s or so, they, there was no there was no semblance of any kind of a treatment plan. So he kind of gave them the three times a week. Okay, that was at least something to get us started with that. So I've got no problem with that. But now we could do better. Now we got better stuff. Like I love talking about CCGPP, Clinical Compass, which amazingly, so many chiropractors have never heard of it. I'm like, right, wow, totally. I gotta, Absolutely. I gotta do better. I gotta do a better job again. Because I, I love the guidelines. Uh, and it's something that we can all work with them and do that. I even I even tell doctors about the long-term care plans. Look, I've been in practice 32 years. I could pinpoint almost to the day when those were first introduced, those those year-long care plans. I could probably tell you who actually started that. I could give you the names. Uh, I, I remember it vividly. I remember learning how to do it. And, and the reason is, it was a noble reason, because back in those days, 
Look, we've always, as a profession, we've most chiropractors have always struggled with getting new patients. So for those, for you newer doctors who think it's only you, I got news for you, pal. <laughs> it's right. not. Right. Everybody's struggling. There's the occasional chiropractor who is just so naturally gregarious and is great at getting getting paced, you know, or, or then you hear the, the ones that piss me off, the ones that, that they have an office in a strip mall and there's so much walk by traffic that they get 30 new patients a month that just walk by. It's nothing that they did. They just walked by. I, I never had that kind of a thing. And I've been in strip malls too. And it depends <laughs> on which strip mall you're in kind of a thing. That's right. I remember that some chiropractors many years ago would get people finding them from the yellow pages. Remember the yellow pages phone book, <laughs> and I, I'll never forget. I, I I would get these. I would track it. I would ask it a new patient. Hey, how'd you find me? Oh, I found you in the phone book. Really? What was it about my ad? Was it the was it the graphics? Was it the wording? What was it? And everyone was like, uh, "No, you're close to my house." Close to my house. Yep. I'm like shit. That's it. But, you know, but some chiropractors did great. So some areas are better than others. I don't even know why I started talking about that. But, you know, people, what were we talking about before that? What got me onto that subject? Oh, I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, but, you know, these, these chiropractors. It's about, it's about just. Oh, the care plan kind of thing. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, the long-term long plan. So they, they knew that we, most of us sucked so bad at getting new patients. They, fig they, they figured as a practice management company, we better teach these chiropractors how to keep the ones that they got and Good business model yeah yeah i mean i i understood it and i remember learning it now when when i so i learned a year care plan many years ago but just before you start freaking out on me just remember a good chunk of that would be considered maintenance right a good chunk of that was considered maintenance care and i know we can go and i love to ask a question at my seminars i'm like i i, I kind of talk about maintenance and i and i sort of roll my eyes a little bit i'm like gosh do you guys is it is there even any research that maintenance chiropractic does anything and i kind of phrase it that way and i get all these chiropractors saying no no i'm like but there is. But there is. There <laughs> and I is, tell yes. them about the, you know, the one Canadian study and the one Norway. I'm like, there is, you guys. I said, that, so back in those days, we would, so I got so good at selling people a care, a one-year care plan. And the reason, do you know why I was successful? Because, you know, I would say this, this is when insurance was pretty good though, which in my state, it hasn't been good in years now. So we would get these new patients and we would come up with a year long plan, which included, uh, maintenance visits and re-exams and all this kind of stuff and we would add it all up together and then we would we would figure out what their insurance would pay you know like let's say 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks whatever subtract that amount from it and then take the balance that would be owed by the patient and then of course discount that if they either paid it up front or they would uh, give us a credit card on file and we would just hit their card every month like that. Well, you divide the, that number and you give them a discount if they give you the card or the prepay, give them a fat discount. So now you've got a monthly payment. Well, now look, I'll, I'll tell you, one of my nephew, a nephew-in-law, my niece is married to a guy whose grandfather owns one of the largest car dealerships in the country. It's not a car dealership. It is a family of dealerships. They are freaking mm -hmm. huge, right? And I'll never forget. He told me, he said, oh yeah, we, we don't even talk about price anymore. He said, look, look at the advertisements. Look at the TV commercials for a car, for new cars these days. Do they even say what the car costs? It's the monthly payment. They want you, it's all a monthly. Everything is 
built into a monthly payment thing. So as long as they could get that and they keep stretching out the financing. So now you're paying over seven years, eight years of finance for a new car. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's how, that's how it works though. So that, that was the same thing with those long term. In fact, I, Bobby, I was so good at selling a one year care plan to patients that I thought one day I thought if I'm that good at selling a one year care plan, I wonder how I would do with a two year care plan. Oh, look at you. How about, and let me tell you something. I was even better selling two years than I was selling one year. Now understand the, the second year is almost all maintenance, right? So there's, you know, less visits. So the, the number comes down when you take that total two year plan and then you divide it by 24 months instead of 12 months, what happens at monthly payment? It came down. That's how that got going. And that's, I mean, I had people calling me. I had a friend of my father's who was my father's age calling me from New York saying, how do you do that? And I was, well, the problem was after I did the two-year thing for like four months, I, th I thought about it. I'm like, I just seemed so wrong. I just didn't like it. I didn't feel comfortable with it. So I quit doing it. There is a, you know, a practice, one particular practice management company now that I still see ads from popping up every now and then. I won't say the name of them. Uh, but they, they still teach chiropractors and it's all about the long-term care plans. I, oh my gosh. That's, and I'll tell you right now, doctor, do you remember Whitehall? Remember Greg Stanley with Whitehall? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Greg Stanley, I haven't seen him in years. I don't know if he's still, he was in Arizona. I don't know if he's still here or not. I haven't seen his name in a long time, but he used to do interviews like this and he would record the interview on a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder and then he would produce the interview on a cassette tape. <laughs> and then doctors and send out the cassette tapes to all right. the, yeah. so if doctors were subscribing to his, to his thing they would get the cassette tape so he interviewed me one time on the cassette tape thing and he asked me about the the the, the long-term plans because he said he said i'll be honest with you he said i've interviewed a lot of people a lot of the management people on the long-term plans and he said do you want to know the biggest problem i said yeah and he goes those patients don't refer because once they realize what they've done, that they've committed to a year-long plan. It's buyer's remorse. They're so embarrassed. They don't want anybody to know. So they're not going to tell anybody about it. So that's why I told him, I said, you know, look, from a, from a new patient kind of a thing, where, uh, I think this is statistically, where, where, at what period of time do most new patients refer somebody in? At what period of time in their care will most, is like 80% of patients, if they're going to refer they're going to refer in what period of time? And the answer is first two weeks. For, yeah, for, uh, active care. Yeah. Yeah. Why do they? Why is that first two weeks so? Because the, you're getting them out of pain. That's the big. That's the big. They're getting them out of pain. That's when. That's when you talk to patients about referring. I said, now here's the next part of it. I said, and I've, I've been I've been preaching this message for years now. It's and I see these new chiropractors and even some older chiropractors saying, I don't understand it, Greg. As soon as my patient is out of pain. They stopped coming in. What that's am I doing wrong? That's why they I, came in. I said, number one, they came in for that. Number two, your entire history and exam is built around that. So even though you think you're talking about function with them, you're not. You're talking about pain. I said, so if you want to have a different conversation, you've got to have a different conversation. I said, so talk to them about function because everybody from a documentation perspective, everyone wants us to, do to talk about two things. pain and function. It's not just pain anymore. Medicare requires it. P 
MPI, workers' comp require it. All the insurers follow Medicare's lead. They all require it. And if you, if you talk to your patients about it, your patients actually want it. Like I'm in Arizona, so we've got some of the best golf courses in the world here. Well, when a male, it's usually a male golfer. When a male, when a male golfer feels a tweak in his back, will he come in and make an appointment to see me? No. When will he make an appointment to see me? When his drive average is 30 yards less or when his drives are 30, 30 yards less than his average, when yep. his function is affected. What about the grandmother who, you know, she feels a tweak in her back. Is she going to come in right away? No. When will she come in? When she re- recognizes that I'm not able to spend more than five minutes on the floor with my grandkids before I'm stuck on the floor for my back. You got to, I said, so people are interested in function, but we're not talking about it. And, and my point is you can't just talk about function. I want it measured, measure function. And that's why I was talking to you, you know, before we started today about like that FMS and the SFMA, I think those are great starts, but you've got to have measurable stuff. You want a measurable change with that. And I've told the story before with my, one of my kids is a, my number two kid is Luke. Luke's 22 years old and he played four years of college of baseball. He was a pitcher. He's a big boy too. He's 6'5 and was about 210 at his playing time. And yeah, his older brother, my oldest son is 6'5 and he was running about 260. Really bad. <laughs> a baseball player. But Luke, you know, in the off season, I had Luke going to a training facility in Arizona here that was specially for baseball players. And it was for high school players, college players, minor league, major league. I mean, shoot, he was working out with Howie Kendrick one year. I mean, just really cool stuff. And it was these trainers and they would do an assessment. And this is expensive. This was, I mean, I could, I could have owned a condo in Hawaii for what this is costing me every month. Well, I would do it. I kept paying for it because Luke was so good about going. But what I really appreciated was when they would, when he would go in for his initial assessment, they would go in, take him through different assessments and they would measure stuff. They would measure his vertical jump. They would measure his squat angle. They would measure as a pitcher. They would measure his arm extension, his arm lateral. They would measure all these things and they would get a baseline. And then after they would do a certain period of time of, of training with him, they would reassess him and see, did any of those improve? How much do they improve? Are some of them not improving? So they need to change something. And I thought that was fucking brilliant. And that's exactly where we need to be. If you want to talk to people about function, you've got to start measuring function. I don't really care what it is. I mean, I talk about the basic things of function that we can talk about that we, that we need to do for documentation. But look, if, if you're working with golfers, and I bet Josh could talk to this in this whole TPI thing, Josh Satterley, the whole right. TPI thing. I mean, they're probably talking about function and the golfers and, and they're looking at, they're, they're measuring different things and, and stuff like that. It's, it's beautiful. You have a baseline and then you, you compare that later. And that takes us out of the whole selling thing. Because I've talked about this before, too, about the whole closing for Cairo thing. And we yeah. got to close. I mean, fuck. That just makes me want to puke. That's, so, that, that's a sales technique. And I just don't think that we should be there. I mean, we're doctors, damn it, still. Well, I mean. The, the irony is focusing on function would lead to a lifelong care practice. Oh, certainly. Because if you measured somebody's function and you found deficiencies, you would work to remove those dysfunctions or those functional deficiencies, and you would be obligated as a as a provider to continue to measure them. Like you know, if a if a if a dentist acquired a new patient with teeth issues, they would probably fix those teeth issues and then 
they would want to follow up to make sure no other issues arose. And these are actually, these aren't made up issues that we would accuse some chiropractors of making up issues about spine alignment or whatnot. These are actual functional objective measurable things like balance and gait and uh, low back endurance and strength and, and all these other things that you can actually help manage people for, for a really actual positive health purpose that, that you can measure and manage over a lifetime. And even, yeah, that's very true. And even on some of these things, if, if maybe we don't have research yet on what normal baselines are for different age and gender, that's okay because for a lot of, for our patients, we can find out where their normal is. Find out, get them right. to a point where they're feeling great, they're functioning great, they're happy as hell, and, the, and measure stuff and say, okay, these are your normals. Right. These are your normals. So I remember years ago, all the practice management companies would tell us, oh, chiropractors, you've got to do recalls. You've got to do periodic recalls. Oh, geez. So, yeah. so we, would, we would give our, our, our staffs you know, all the, 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 the job of going through all the patient files and, hey, we haven't seen this patient in a while. Call them up. And the staff's like, well, what am I supposed to say? Say, hey, how are you doing? We need to get you back in here. And they're yeah. like, but what if they're feeling okay? Well, get them back in here. <laughs> they hated it. I hated it. Patients Everybody hated it. Everybody hated it. But instead, exactly what you said, Bobby, if we could have a thing that said, hey, you know what? We measured certain things on you. We got baselines. We treated you. You got measurably better. Now you're good. You're good to go. So I said, you know, I'll tell you what. I want to follow up with you periodically. Maybe in three months we're going to follow up. And I'm, I'm gonna, I want, we're going to send you this questionnaire. And I want you to fill it out just so we can keep track of you. Uh, or maybe if the range of motion was an issue, we're going to, let's get you back in. I want to measure range of motion and see where you are. I don't even care if you, you, you do a no charge visit for that. Just it's, it's, a, it's now a reasonable conversation to have where we could say, hey, I'm looking out for you. I'm, this is patient centered because I know that we know what your normal was. I want to make sure that you're still there. And if you are, great. We'll check back with you in a few months or, okay, we have some issues here now. Are you having any, are you feeling anything? And they go, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am trying to feel, all right, well, so let's get this situated and then get you back to your normal or as close to that as we can. And then carry on that way. That is totally patient centered. And that is a way that now a recall kind of a thing actually makes sense. And it's something that could actually benefit not only the individual practice, but I even think the whole profession. I mean, there is a, a, uh, a guy in London who has software that is being used in Europe right now. And, I, you know, and I've talked to him in the past about me helping him bring it to the United States where it's all about, it's all about tracking outcomes and be able to use the database in research because if we get enough people doing this in database, we could have a huge fucking database that we can look at. So same kind of a thing. We, we can track these people, patient-centered, and you know, have them come in in three months and one month and six months, whatever it's going to be, see how they're doing. It, it makes sense instead of the old way of, uh, how you doing? Let's get you back in here because I have a car payment to make. How you doing? Get back in. How you doing? Get back in. How you doing? Get back in. Um, we had discussed briefly at Chiropractic Australia, uh, which was just a couple months ago, or sorry, just a couple weeks ago in, um, in the Gold Coast of Australia, we discussed that program, uh, a program for tracking outcome measures. I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm hoping that it just sort of springs into my mind again. But yes, um, I'll, I'll link it later. I'll link it onto this. There's a, a program 
that you can use that that will help you and it's like a database of all the outcome measures and you can put in all your outcomes and track them now i wouldn't say all of them they're a little bit limited still on which ones that i that i'd like them to expand but it's a great start with that um but yeah so that's the kind of thing and then you know i i talk about that in in my seminars and documentation there's only like three three things that we must document and two of them should be done on every visit one of them every two to four weeks and then there's a fourth one that's optional and that's it that, that's all we need to do right now it's so easy to do that the daily ones take like seconds to do the every two to four weeks takes maybe a minute or so to do and then the fourth optional one is something that depending on how you do it it could take a few a minute or so or 90 seconds or i don't know it's so easy, but we we have to, as a profession, start going that direction. And really, I'm just tired. I, look, again, back in my day, we were all about the testimonials. And I have testimonial books in my waiting room. Still to this day, I still have testimonial books in my waiting room. Some of them were, were my testimonials, my patients, and others are other chiropractors and stuff. And, it, you know, doctors ask me, you know, how did you get referrals, you know, all those years ago? I'm like, you know, the, one of the best things, here's my little tidbit, one of the best things I did for years, I, I would ask patients to write a testimonial for me. Now, I, keep in mind, I was treating some not only musculoskeletal stuff. I was doing some electrical acupuncture. I was doing some laser. And I was doing some weird stuff on some people. And this is before I knew what evidence-based mean, and I knew never to say that out loud. But this is when I would... I would do it. So I tell, so this one guy, this one guy came to me, he was an older guy with an enlarged prostate. He was getting up to urinate every night, seven times a night. This poor guy had not, he had not had a full night's sleep in years. So he came in and I was adjusting him because I adjust everybody. And then I was doing electrical acupuncture for an enlarged prostate. And after like four visits or so, he tells me, he goes, oh my gosh, I only got up once last night to go to the bathroom. And he stated that. I don't, I don't know that I ever got him to zero, but he was minimal to like one or two times to get up. That was a mind blow. It's life changing for him. So he wrote me a little testimonial. So I, got, I took the testimonial and I, put on, I, I blew it up on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, landscape mode. And the, the heading of each of these said, thanks, Dr. Greg. And then it had a little one or two sentence thing about what they came in with and, and, and how it's helped them. Another guy was, uh, uh, what was this guy's thing? Breathing. One guy had a, a oh my gosh, this guy. Okay, some of the evidence-based guys are going to try to kill me on this one. But I had a guy years ago who had really bad emphysema. And I just started playing around with a laser at the time. And the guy comes in and I told him about the laser and he goes, and he's got his oxygen tank with him and, and all that. And he goes, wow, you think this, la this laser could help me with my emphysema? And I'm like, I have no idea. I said, I, I have no idea. I said, but you know what? If you want, we could try it. I said, give it a few tries. I said, I don't think it would hurt anything. I hope not. I don't think it would hurt. I said, we can try it for a few times. I charged 20 bucks for a 10-minute session on that. You know, we can try it. So we tried it. And then after one or two sessions, that he's like, Oh my gosh, he said, I'm breathing better. I'm like, really? And then he goes, hey, I also have macular degeneration. You, could, you think this thing could help with that too? I'm like, well, I don't know. You want to try it? I said, I don't think it would hurt. So I had him sitting in, my, in the hallway with a laser, and I had the laser set for frequencies for vascular. And I had him sitting with the, the, the handheld thing from the laser on his temple, because I figured it would get behind his retina. I don't know. I had him sit there for like 10 minutes. 
So he comes to me, the, I said, let's try it. We'll see what that, we'll give it a few tries. I don't know if it'll work or not. He comes back into me the next visit and I said, so anything, any difference with your vision? And he goes, uh, yeah. I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> What's up? And he goes, well, my vision is blurry in that eye. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So now I'm thinking to myself, now I've got to call NCMIC. Now I've got to, I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I document well? for? Oh, shit. So I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your ophthalmologist and get an evaluation. And let's see if there's anything going on there. I said, if I did anything wrong, I'll, I'll own up to it. But I said, let's see what's up. So I didn't do the laser that visit. He comes back in two days later, and I said, did you get a chance to see your ophthalmologist? He said, yes. And I said, did he examine you? He said, yes. I said, what did he say? He said that what he found is impossible. I said, what, what did he find? He said that the reason my vision was blurry is because between the last time he examined me and the other day, my vision improved in that eye by a full diopter. So what's happened is the prescription that he gave me the last time is now too strong. And that's why my vision is blurry. And I said, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? I said, that's not possible. He goes, well, that's what he said. I'm like, uh, he said, can we keep doing it? I'm like, hell yeah. So we, we did it again, we, like a few more times. And then he goes, he says, hey, my, my vision is blurry again. What should I do? I said, go back to your ophthalmologist. Have him examine you. Same thing. It improved another diopter. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, now, I'm not telling you that I'm going to now run an ad about, hey, let me do laser on you for, you know, but – he did a little thing. Thanks, Dr. Greg. And I would have all these various things on my wall of thanks, Dr. Greg, uh, of all these various things that, that we did. You know, sometimes the lower back pain, the neck pain, the, the chronic migraines, all this kind of stuff. And people would see that. And they're like, oh, my God, I didn't know that you, you could help somebody with that. I'm like, well, I, I did with that one guy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one for one. I have 100% success rate. N equals one. Right. I said, so then I started getting referrals and I would tell these people, well, you know, we could try it. I had, I had one good outcome for that. And that is a way that you start having the conversation or, or your, or those little thanks Dr. Greg things on your wall. You know, they had the conversation for me. It was, it was really, it was cool. I should probably still do that if I cared. <laughs> I, I'm in my office eight hours a week. I want to get out of here. You know, <laughs> Tales from the dark side. Yeah. But it was, you it can was, freak was some fun. people out, man. And then I've got, you know, the long-term stuff. I've got patients that have been coming to me for 20 plus years. I, I don't tell them they have to. I, they, and they usually, they, I have one woman who's about 80 years old, has the worst scoliosis I've ever seen in my life. I, I haven't measured it in years. I don't care to. It's just gross to look at an x-ray. She also has terrible osteoporosis. So I told her 15 years ago when I started seeing her, I'm like, look, honey, let me tell you what my goal is. My goal is to not fix your curvature. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not at your age anyway. And I said, my goal is to keep you upright as long as I can. I don't even know if I can get rid of your pain. If we could keep your pain minimal for as long as we can, that's something. But I just want to keep you upright. And she comes in and the, and the adjustment that I do on her, I do a very gentle diversified adjustment on her upper thoracic spine. And the rest of it, I use a batshit crazy technique that all, all of you would give me a hard time, but then I don't give a fuck. Uh, and you know what? It, it helps her. And then she, after three years of that, she goes, Dr. Greg, can I ask you a question? 
I said, sure. She's like, she grew up on a farm in Indiana. She goes, I, you, I get sick every year. Every year I get sick, three times a year at least. And I've noticed that since I've, you know, I've noticed that I haven't been, I haven't been sick in, in three years. Is that a coincidence or is that anything to do with what you do to me? I'm like, I don't know. I said, have you done anything else in your life that any other changes? Has your diet changed or has your exercise? No. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to run an ad about that, but I mean, that, that's what you found. I have another patient who's uh, a retired nurse and she still does uh, some audits for hospitals. She comes in and, and, you know, both of these women come in once a week for 20 years. They don't have to, I don't tell them they have to, they just like to do it. I've got another guy that, that he comes in, he's a successful guy. He's an HR VP with a big home builder in town and he likes to get adjusted twice a month. Yep. Twice a month. He doesn't have any pain. He golfs every now and then. He'll jack himself up, but he's usually asymptomatic. He just likes to get adjusted twice a month. So I gave him a, I gave him a thing. I said, "All right, if you want, a 20, here's 24 visits a year. I usually charge 47 bucks for a visit. If you want to do this 24 visit a year thing, uh, I'll give you. It's like an 18% discount. It's like 926 dollars. So it goes, okay, cool. I'll bring a check in next time. So he brings a check in from his. Uh, HSA or his investment account drops a check for 926 bucks. My computer keeps track and lets me know when he's down to one visit. And I tell him, I said, Hey, you got one visit left. And he goes, all right, I'll bring a check in next time. You know, you know, I tell these chiropractors, I'm like, you know, everybody's so afraid of the maintenance thing. I'm like, some people like to get adjusted once a month, two times a year, whatever. I said, let me tell you something about a once a month adjustment. If people want to do that on their own, they like to do that. They feel better. They want to do it. If you're charging, let's say 50 bucks a visit, if you're, and this, by the way, is, I believe, uh, a model or the model for the joint clinics. They want to have their, I, I learned this years ago, it may, may have changed, but I learned this years ago, they started, that their goals have each clinic with a thousand people, a thousand members. Yep, 1,000 members. That's their goal. So I'm like, how about this as a goal, doctors? Goal to get a thousand people to come in once a month. If they want to, not not because you're making them, if they want to, whether it's chronic lower back pain or they like to get adjusted. If you had a thousand people coming in once a month, paying that's $50,000 a month cash. What just happened to your practice? Is that, that's crazy, isn't it? I said, now, if, you know, I know you, like, you want to do your, your challenging stuff, your, your active stuff, your rehab stuff. That's fine. That could fill in the other holes. You just have, you've got a huge practice now. Okay, maybe 1,000 is too ambitious. 500? How about we start with 100? Start with 50. I don't care. And, and that's how a lot of us started our practices many years ago. You know, and unfortunately, years ago, insurance was still pretty good. But those days, sadly, are either over in most states or they're going that direction. In my state, it's terrible. I'll tell you a funny story in a little bit too on that if we have time. But you know, we've got to understand how do we get how do we get patients paying cash out of pocket for care? It's got to be affordable and it's got to have value to them. You know, a lot of the young doctors doing the, a lot of the rehab stuff. If if they don't have insurance and they're paying out of pocket for that, you know, maybe in your area they can afford eighty bucks a visit. If if I'm seeing professional athletes, they can afford that. But you know, if I'm seeing that typical person who's on a fixed income i don't know that they're going to afford that very for very long well i think i think a lot of people know that rehab is important and they know that therapeutic activities are the way to go and encouraging activity but i don't think they know how to teach people the value side of that to help them see the value they just know that it's valuable 
and they I don't know if they assume everyone else knows it's valuable or that it's very important, but they just sort of go along like, all right, there. Look, Greg, a lot of the people who are doing rehab out there are glorified personal trainers. They're literally there with like a stopwatch and a clipboard and they're counting reps. And who, who yeah. if, you, if, you know, if you were going to a chiropractor in your own mind and that's what they whipped out was the clipboard and started counting reps on a yoga mat, um, would you stay? Nope. And I don't, I don't, you know, we, we, we can admit, like we said, we need to have rule, plain rule. We need to have ground rules. Ground rule is yes, functional restoration is important. That includes some sort of rehab or therapeutic activities, whether it's in the office or out of the office, depending on, on what way you can connect with this patient to get them to move their bodies again in any way, shape, and form. But it has to be relevant to them and it has to be compelling to them and it has to be on their wavelength. And, um, and I just feel like a lot of people on the rehab side of things are a little bit dogmatic about how they approach that. Yeah, Instead I think that's a yeah. Um, and at least, at least when you talk about things like the FMS or the SFMA, at least it can bring a little bit of variety or innovation to the thought process sure. of how to approach it. For anybody who's been to my seminars before, they've heard me rail on about the, about orthopedic tests that we've done for all these years, how they're just not very good much of the time. Not that we yep. shouldn't do some of them, but they just don't tell us a whole lot with that. So I love the concept of those movement types of screens. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. On, you but, know, yeah, but it has to make, well, in, on, on that context, you have to be able to document something that makes sense to the rest of the world. Right. But it's like you're playing, you've got two customers. You've got the patient and you've got, if there's a third party payer, uh, you, they're a customer. And then, um, yeah. and then your patient's checkbook, which makes them also a customer, makes them another customer. So, so Bobby, you're in, you're in Oregon. Do you have an Oregon a group called American Specialty Health? Um, I don't even know. There? But I, I, when I practiced in California, I was definitely very aware of them. Okay. So they are, they're a third-party managed care organization in the country. And they are big in some states and not very big in other states and non-existent in other states. In Arizona, they're, they're huge. It's, and it's been – I mean, they manage in Arizona Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, HealthNet, Cigna, all the biggest insurers. And, and what they do is they, you know, they have a tiered process. So, you know, they, they allow 26 or 27 bucks for the spinal adjustment, nothing for the extremity. Modalities are, uh, you know, paid at a low rate, at rehab at a low rate, things like that. And, and then if you go beyond, you know, they'll give you so many visits. And then if you want to go beyond that, you've got to be able to show them why that is and stuff. And it really, it, it devastated chiropractic in the state of Arizona. It's, it's been going on for years now. So I told these doctors, but interesting, I did a seminar in Lexington, Kentucky at the end of last year. I do it in December, uh, at the end of the year, it's my last seminar of the year. And I had two chiropractors from American Specialty Health fly from San Diego to Lexington, Kentucky for the first day of my seminar. One of these chiropractors is a guy that I knew many years ago when I started practicing, he used to practice in Arizona. And we, and he pulled me aside afterwards at the end of Saturday. And he goes, Greg, I just want to tell you something. He says, you, you have my permission to share what I'm about to tell you, but you do not have my permission to, to share who I work for. So, okay, fair enough. So he said, 
Uh, okay, so I, I already screwed that up, didn't I? Anyway. Yep, yep. <laughs> right here. This is where all the rules get broken. Well, that was last year. Anyway. So he said, <laughs> what you are talking about, what you're teaching is exactly what needs to happen with that. And if, and if, if doctors would do it that way, you're right. We could move the profession forward to such a degree. Now, what's, here's the funny part. I got a phone call from this organization a few months ago asking me if I would come to their office in San Diego in September of 2020 to speak for four hours to their people. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? So I said, of course, I'd be happy to do that for a fee, of course. Uh, and they, they agreed to my fee. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've mentioned to a couple of, oh, are you going to just kill them? You're going to, I'm like, no, that would be a bad one. I want to, I want to make inroads. I want to build help. Build a bridge. I want to build a bridge. So I said, so let's see if I could go in there all nice and all, look, I'm one of you guys. And I, I'm trying to teach these chiropractors this, you know, ideally I would like for them to pay us better. Cause I, for me, I don't get past people's co-pays except for the first visit. The copays are, you know, $45, $55, $85 a visit. I'm not going to get paid by them. I said, the patient's going to pay out of pocket for stuff. So I have to keep the cost down. I said, but I want to build a bridge and see if, you know, as I teach more and more doctors how to do this properly uh, and quickly. And that's my big thing now is you, we got to be able to do this fast. If, if we're taking too long to do it, we're screwed. We're not going to do it. So all these various softwares out there, I just shake my head. I roll my eyes. I'm like, that's no. Even my own software, I actually have to have my anti-sales pitch now. That's right. I have an anti-sales pitch because I've run into doctors who no matter what I say, no matter what I tell them, I could tell them, look, these are the things that you have to document. These other things, you're wasting your time. Don't do it. Some doctors don't care. Some doctors want to have the control that I know what you're saying, Greg, but I want to say what I'm going to say. Okay, you're going to waste a lot of time. You should not have my program because it will frustrate you because I'm trying to make this faster and easier for you. And only the stuff that and I, this has been battle tested with PI and Medicare and other. I said, I, I know what it takes to get through I, I, in the least amount of time. I said, if you want to do that and, and, and document all this extra stuff that just isn't necessary, it isn't really important. It isn't going to make your documentation any more powerful. If you're going to do that, then do it on your own. Make, make your own program if you want to, but you're going to waste my time. You're going to be a pain in my ass my whole life. I don't want it. I choose not to work with you. <laughs> and, and there are a number of doctors out there. You know who you are. Uh, they, they choose to do that. Me personally, I want to do the least amount that I have to, that I could get things that, but I know, I know what the, what the system takes. I know what they want. I know what they need. I know how to get it through to them. And I, I know how to do it so fast. And that's, that's the key. That's the beauty of the whole thing. So even, you know, even my maintenance patients that come in once a week or once a month or whatever, they come in forever and ever and ever. I document the same way for them. And that's, so if, if anybody ever asks, I can show them. This is Yeah. Um, somebody who's um, reviewed documentation for the Oregon board of chiropractic examiners um, I can say we we would get somewhat suspect when we reviewed records that were different for different type of payers. Does that make sense? Oh like yeah. The cash payment records were done one way, and then all of a sudden, the high pay and high personal injury clients had the full printout. Yep. Documentation records, and it always sort of said, "Huh, let's dig a little deeper here. Why are yeah. they being treated different?" 
And there shouldn't be. I mean, we should be documenting the same way for everybody. Now, granted, in my PI cases, there are a few extra little things I'm going to put in there, like mechanism of injury, causation, you know, stuff like that. Uh, for Medicare, I'm going to throw in there uh, one requirement for them, which is that we had a conversation about relative and absolute contraindications to, to dynamic thrust adjusting. Yeah, that's a request. So I'll have that in my in my notes as well. It's a one-click thing that I do. Uh, but other than that, you know, my, my maintenance patients, I, I define maintenance as asymptomatic maintenance. Uh, if somebody's coming in with a symptom but maintaining that, I don't put them in my maintenance section of my, of my own software. But somebody who just comes in every, you know, once a month, whatever, I feel great and all that. It literally takes me like a second to document that. My subjective part of my note says, yep, they're here for maintenance, no symptoms. That's it. But I'll still follow the part format that Medicare wants. I'll still document the restrictions. Uh, I, I, I may not have anything to do range of motion wise or tissue and tone. If something shows up, I will. I still have an, a, you know, uh, the assessment isn't going to be much of an assessment for those people. I'll have the diagnoses. My treatment plan doesn't change ever like that, but I still have it documented for that. Me, you know, Medicare, Medicare is so fucking easy and I'm so, I'm, I've been getting a lot of questions, a lot of DMs from doctors in the FTCAs lately about, Greg, what do you think about this Medicare bill? Well, I, I, I'm excited on one hand. I'm really excited on one hand. But on the other hand, I'm afraid because I'm afraid that if we actually get that passed and now we get, we're getting paid by Medicare, if we get too many chiropractors just jacking Medicare around and documenting like shit the way most still do, we're fucked. And that's why Medicare says, you know what, we, we went out of our way, we gave this to you, and look at what you did with it. You ruined it. So you know what? You guys wanted to have an opt-out provision? We'll make this easy for you. You're all out. We don't want anything yeah. to do with you guys anymore. If we play it straight, though, we document for them the way we need to for them, which is short-term documenting pain and function. Right. And all that and keep in terms of incidences so that, you know, as they have an incident, we get them out of that as fast as possible and then release them. And then they have a new incident. Bam, you start a new incident and you document that properly. They're fine with that. If we do that properly, doctors, I'm telling you, we'll show them data that we save them a fortune. We could save them a fortune. But I'm just nervous that if we get too many of these chiropractors documenting the wrong way for this, it could go the opposite direction and fuck the whole thing up for all of us so if we do well, it right it's fantastic i mean it's a double-edged sword so <clears throat> on one end we do kind of want to encourage this uh, some of the off-label treatments that you re that you discussed earlier for lack for i guess that's a great way to put it off-label approaches right off-label so so we're innovators on that end but then again we also breed a bunch of freaking cowboys a bunch of loose loose shooting um, swashbuckling yep. renegades that are like, all right, I want that Medicare money, but I still want to do what I want. I want the Medicare money and do what I want to do right. while I get it. We don't, we don't make a lot of team players. Yeah. So the question, it, it leads to this question that I want to ask you, do we deserve Medicare reform? I would say we deserve a shot at it because we really could benefit these patients. We could have a profound benefit on a, on a large population. I'm talking 50 million people on Medicare, right around that. Yeah. We could have a large impact on a lot of these people with chronic pain, even acute incidences of chronic pain. We can have a big impact on them. 
um, it, it remains to be seen if we, if we do show that or not. And if we, again, if we do it the way we can and should do it, we will show those outcomes and show that cost savings. If we have too many of us, of the, and you know, let's be honest, chiropractors, many chiropractors, to be a chiropractor, we have a little bit of a different mindset than the average population, don't we? Sure. We, we tend to be non-contrarians. Look, if we were contrarians, those of us who could have gotten into medical school would have gone to medical school, right? That's, but many of us are non-contrarians, so we think differently. We think out of the box. We think, I don't like this whole medical model. I love the chiropractic model. So we, a lot of us start off in that. So we're, I remember, were you practicing when the Mercy Guidelines got published in 1993? No. There. So in 1993, they got published and mailed to every chiropractor. I'm telling you, Bobby, for seven years, we were as a profession in lockstep with each other, so, you know, all in unison. Hell no, we won't go. We were all anti-mercy guidelines. And I was in that group too. I was anti-mercy guidelines. The funny thing was, seven years later, I read them for the first time. <laughs> I never well, that's read part of it. No that's one, part of it. No one had read the guidelines, which, which yeah. is a, a lot like the, the Choosing Wiser campaign, which just makes me roll my eyes. Uh, the, and about the, the whole argument against that thing. So I'm like, okay, so I didn't read the Mercy Guns for seven years. I read them for the first time and I was like, wow, that's surprising. What were we bitching about this whole time? This is actually pretty damn good. This actually gives us, you know, I use the Mercy Guidelines to support my care a lot of times, not just to thrash your care. I'm like, we could do the same thing that happens with the choosing widely thing, the whole thing with the CCGPP. These guidelines. Because all these people have a persecution complex and right. then there's always one or two guys in a slick suit that can take advantage of this persecution complex and then put fear into everybody. Then everybody thinks that the government or the other chiropractors or the other medical professionals are going to take away their right to see patients and all this other crap. And they're just, they're governed by fear and they don't even read the stuff. Yeah. It's the very notion that somebody other than me could have any say on what I do or do not do with my patients. Which is the damnest oh. irony because you're supposed to have a fiduciary responsibility to care for oh. other people than yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you know? but the problem is, like, I always ask at my seminars. Who are you doing it for, you know? Right? I said, I said here's what question I asked. When do chiropractors stop treating the patient? In the end, like, and all the old-timers say, when they die. I said, that's exactly my point. <laughs> I said, <laughs> the, act, the reality is chiropractors don't know when to stop, typically. I said, chiropractors will stop treating the patient when the patient dies or the patient stops on their own or an attorney tells them to stop or the insurance company cuts them off. That's what, we've got to do better than that. We've got to know when, hey, you've reached this point here, you can either stop at this point, or you've had a chronic thing, if you want to do a maintenance plan for a week and kind of check that out, whatever you want to do is fine. And that's, and, and they can, on their dime, of course, they can do that. But, but a lot of chiropractors, just the very thought of anybody daring to tell you what you can and cannot do with a patient is so offensive to their core that they, they want nothing to do with it. It's and, and that's child, why I like it's childishly uh, unprofessional. It it's it unreasonable. And that's why I tell these doctors, I, I love, love, love the CCGPP guidelines with one very, very, very minor exception that I've already had conversations with uh, a current chairman and former chairman of that. And they're like, yeah, okay, I can see your point with that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. 
but I love the guidelines because I don't care how, I don't care what technique you use to adjust. I don't care. I really don't. I don't care about any of that stuff. Just show me your outcomes. Just so what about out- these uh, people that you know are out there? They're already talking about, they're already planning to do it. These people that, that are just going to try to sabotage the Medicare reform, to uh, torpedo it, uh, organizations, spreading disinformation, being obstructionists. First of all, you don't have to give it. You, you gave an opinion about uh, American specialty health. You can go for an opinion on these people too. Yeah. First of all, most of these people are a lot of talk and don't do shit. Second of all, how do I say this? I have a particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired <laughs> over a very long career. Skills that <laughs> I will find them. You know, like if, you, if they don't want to do Medicare, don't fucking do Medicare. They're problem solved. But yeah. they're so freaked out about, okay, I, I, I do want to bring, I hope we're not running out of time. But there's one thing that I, I want to bring up and I don't want to bring up. But the, I, I, I'm conflicted about it. Which and means you got to bring it up. I got to bring it up. And, and I bring it up because, okay, so for what I do, for, because I teach chiropractic document and, you know, disclaimer, I have my own software for documentation, right? So I do that. I sell that stuff. I am very careful. I don't want to piss anybody off. I can still have opinions and I share them, but I don't like, you will never see me have a political discussion on Facebook or anywhere in social media. I will be happy to discuss it over beers with you or a scotch one night and I'll get all crazy about it, but I'm not going to have it with, especially, you know, I know in, in social media, half the audience thinks one way, the other half thinks the other way. There's a 50% chance I'm going to piss off half my market, half my audience. I don't want to do that. It's not worth it to me. So there, there is, there are more and more, chiropractors that have asked me legitimate questions about stuff. And these are doctors from the CBP camp, the biophysics camp. And and I'm going to tell you right now, I've never been to a CBP seminar. I've never met Deed Harrison. I've never met any of these guys. Okay. I, I have met some doctors that do CBP. That's fine. I had a private discussion with a, chiropractor and PhD. And I, I asked this doctor, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it entirely. I don't get the whole animosity. Let me give you my perspective on this. Um, who is the dad? Don Harrison was the dad. And he started off in the, I think the early eighties. So by the time I was kind of getting out of chiropractic college, this whole CBP thing was starting to kind of get some legs. And I was, the thing that impressed me the most about it was that Don Harrison, before he was a chiropractor, he had like a master's degree in math or something. I mean, who does that? It was, he was a math guy. I think he might've had an engine. I think he had an engineering degree and he was looking at chiropractic from an engineering perspective. I thought that was fascinating. I didn't understand it yet. I didn't know anything, and I still don't. I don't know anything about it, but I thought it was really interesting like that. So when I see all the animosity that goes on from our researchers, and, and I, I get it to, to, to an extent. I, I get there's a lot of art, what is it, RCTs, a lot of case studies and all that. Okay, but you know what? They, they're making an effort more than anybody else is out there. And I'm like, all right, maybe they go, maybe they go too far in some of the things that they say, and that's a problem that should be addressed. Uh, but damn it, I, I, I applaud them for 
making an effort to do this. And they, and I don't believe they're saying that their adjustment, their protocol is not a specific kind of adjustment, I don't think. I think it's a protocol. It's a it's the traction stuff, the general stuff, the the mirror image adjusting kind of stuff. It's kind of a, a thing like that. And they're and they're looking at research to to see, okay, does you know is a loss of curve or reversal of a curve does that have a deleterious effect on on a person? And from what I understand, it looks like it may. I think there was a study that came out recently that said that a, a lack of curve, a lack of lordosis in cervical spine affects the hemodynamics of the brain. Well, I think that's maybe significant or could be significant or maybe not yet, but maybe something that we should look at. Does that then mean that if, if they can reverse the curve on the neck or, or, I mean, bring it, fix that, get it back to normal or better than it is, will that change? That will that change the hemo, hemodynamics of that? So I see a lot of the arguments. That's the question. Up. I see the, the, a lot of the arguments saying, "Well, but a CBP is that doing any better, you know, for pain and or function?" And, and I'm like, I don't think they care much about that. I don't think that's their model, for the most part. I mean, partially yes, I guess, but they're looking at uh, these well, other things. The, the 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 thing there is okay, so. If we're talking pain and function, we're talking some standard guidelines, whatever standard guidelines want to use, compass, whatnot. And you're saying six to eight visits for this pain or function restoration thing or whatever the number is, six to eight, 10 to 12, you know, all guidelines are sort of different. And then you're saying, okay, but the CBP protocol is much larger than that, right? 24, 46, 56 visits, increased cost, increased time cost increase expense to the patient if both are equal in their outcomes then one is more efficient than the other is one of the arguments another argument that some people have about cbp is that the cart was there before the horse that they had an idea and this idea of curve restoration and now they are trying to justify it through the research afterwards but not utilizing research that is more i guess you would say multidisciplinary or global it's like they're producing their own research to prove their own findings that's what the accusations are but is it a good approach i mean yeah who who knows yeah <laughs> it probably is i mean it probably is it might not be who know, i mean but people do it and 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 what we all do is relatively quite darn safe as it is um you know Whatever, whatever you're saying, I'm totally getting. But um, that the problem I think most people have with CBP is when they are confronted with these challenges about their methodology, they don't say, you know what, Greg, that's a really good question. Let's look into this and get back to you. They're more like, who the fuck are you to question me? <laughs> you don't question me because I know the science and you're an idiot. And, yeah. then, and that's how the conversation progress or does not progress. Yeah, that, I mean, and I'm not a researcher, and I don't play one on TV. And yeah, and, yeah, and me I love either, the, me either. I love the fact that in in FTCA and these other groups, you've got some researchers. But back to page one, we need researchers, we need clinicians, yeah. we need leaders, we need thought leaders, and we need politicians to pretend to be leaders, and we need our yeah. innovators. Totally. So I, you know, so I remember when the Choosing Wisely came out, that that whole X-ray guidelines, not rules, not regulations, the guidelines. They're not even guidelines. They're just recommendations. Yeah, a lot of the CPB doctors just flipped. They just went nuts. And, and I thought about it. I said, you know, I, I could see on the surface 
if if I were in that camp, I could see that being a bit problematic. I would be upset about it until I learned more about it. I'm like, because I would tell these CPP, CBP guys, I said, look, these are, they're just guys, the recommendations. Don't panic about it. Unless we start seeing a lot of insurers using about that. About low back pain. Yeah. This is only about lower back pain. I said, so that's, that's all that is. I said, look, now I, I crack up that when I see these doctors, these old doctors that say, and I learned this, I learned this. I forget who said this years ago. If you, what you don't see, you to know, to know is to see, or to see is to know, or some shit like that. I'm like, we used to say that all the time with x-rays. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I used to have my own x-ray equipment and I used to x-ray fucking everybody, Bobby. Everybody got an x-ray <laughs> because I had a fucking machine to pay off. And, and yeah, you know what? I had, I caught stuff every now and then. Well, then I, when I was going down to part-time practice, I moved my office and it was going to cost me five grand just to move my old x-ray machine. Not, and that didn't include lead lining the walls and all the other crap. I'm like, I'm not going to pay that. I don't get reimbursed for that like I used to. So I made sure I moved my office near an imaging lab. I'm like, great, I'll use a radiologist with this. So now I don't have my own x-ray equipment. Well, so did I refer everyone out for x-rays then once I did that? No. No. Should I have? Uh, now, now I get it. If if you're uh, doing a technique that is x-ray dependent, like a Gonstead, like a atlas orthogonal and i'm not bashing these at all because i've known great great chiropractors who get great outcomes with these various techniques i don't get it i don't understand it really um i there's no research that i know of anyway and uh, you know some may argue with me and they'd probably win uh that maybe there is research i don't know but i i don't know how we could find a subluxation a chiropractic subluxation on an x-ray we can see patterns like the curve stuff and things like that but specific actually i don't know how you do that but i get it from the, from those te techniques the the pedibons even the i mean i know guys that do the alice orthogonal I, i've never seen that in person like that so i'm like i don't even know what i don't know what to tell them on this other than uh you're gonna run into some trouble probably i'm thinking cash practice <laughs> yeah. for that one but thinking, you know, just document your outcomes and you know i'll back you up as much as i can once again if we all had the same sort of <clears throat> plain rules to play by this is right. not an issue you you do what you do okay, you. i do what i do we all kind of do what we do the research seems to say it doesn't even really matter what we do over others if you can produce some research that says your technique is better has better outcomes than others that's where these outcome measures would really come in play if you would play that game uh uh chiropractors with uh different techniques if you'd play the game maybe you can prove it long term my personal issue and who cares about my opinion nobody i know i care <laughs> but my personal issue is when they use these techniques as sales methods to increase their business practice not for patient outcomes you know you can have a big fancy machine or big fancy technique or all these claims made in order to land the patient not to produce an outcome and i think that's what with some of these techniques not all of them they they get the comfort of being able to say all right for instance let's take an x-ray on every single patient we see Let's slap that x-ray up on the board. Let's point out how these curves are all crooked, and that means they need a year of care when we don't know if, <laughs> if that's even necessary or not. And, and right. there are all kinds of other problematic issues with x-rays, and using them as a sales tool instead of using them for what they were supposed to be, which is a tool for diagnosis. 
that's yeah. where my that's where i i mean i don't i uh, a lot of people give me a hard a hard uh, rap for being anti a lot of stuff i am i'm mostly libertarian about all of it do what you do but don't don't re don't refuse the conversation when someone when someone wants to question you yeah. have the answers and then play by all the rules that everybody else does so that the team can move down the football field together speaking of which nfl's about to start any minute now oh there's a game tonight yeah, how about that so um not that i'm going to cut you off or anything i'm just saying you know, well let's move this football down the field so i can go see the game um <laughs> Did that does that make like, does that make sense though? Like totally. you could, I don't you could like go that. as you could go as far off the roads as you want in this off label manner, you know, lasering people's eyes. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people cringing out there listening, but as long as you don't break first the ethical rules, then two, the fiduciary rules, your responsibility to the public and to your patients, and then three, these ground rules of how to document how to manage and how to do things appropriately so that you've, you've done all of those responsibilities. Who really cares? Someone yeah. was arguing about acupuncture the other day, whether it's a valid thing or not, who gives a flying monkey's butthole, whether it's valid or not. It's like 2000 years of cultural significance to a certain uh, part of the planet, <laughs> yeah. like right. a large part of the planet. You know what I mean? And, and it seems to be helpful to some people sometimes. So don't, I don't want to knock yeah. anybody or there, there, is a, there is a market out there for absolute straight chiropractors. There are people that, uh, that, that buy that product. And gay there, chiropractors too. I don't, there, there's a product for everything and everybody should have a right to express <laughs> that product as long as they follow the general rules and don't take advantage of people and be ethical and all that. Now, can you be ethical and and do non-evidence-based things. That's the next question to sort of breach. And I think you can. I'm just going to keep it pretty short. And I, I think you can be ethical and be non-evidence-based. And that's, someone's going to lose, someone's head just exploded out there. <laughs> but I think it can happen. It's yeah. called consent and doing exactly what you did with your patients as you explained it. I don't know, Jim, if this is going to help you. Um, I don't want to put you into financial dire straits trying but it does take some financial investment for my time to give it a shot. And if we've got something here and we're going to try to be as safe as we can, uh, then we've got something. And if we don't, we don't, but I promise not to get you in too deep where it, it, it causes some issues. And then we yeah. can follow up with an external source to make sure we're actually getting some results and our, 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 uh, our collective eyes aren't deceiving us. I agree. I agree. Oh my God. And that's all we really need to do. Dr. Greg Friedman is we need to find the things in this profession that we actually agree upon and then start our conversations from there. What can we all sort of agree on instead of always talking about the things we don't agree in, on? I think for the vast majority of us, we agree on way more things than we disagree on. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's the problem is we can't, it, there's no, it's not cool to talk about the things we agree about. Everyone wants to have unity in this profession. They're dying to have this so-called unity. Well, where does that unity come from? How about we talk about what we agree on first? Yeah. Um, and whether you want to call it being holistic or being conservative or uh, whatever, that's a great place to start. Like you said, we all got into this for some sort of reason. And I think a lot of us forgot that reason along the way, but it was usually one of those things. Like we, we didn't agree with the way medicine was a little too aggressive 
or or the way or that there was a better safer way to manage people quote unquote naturally i guess you could say it we all got we were all on that tip at some point and that's where we can start i agree fucking pissing me off on the last episode of the year (laughs) now i'm gonna i'm just we're just gonna start cussing and lose all the sponsors Who oh, should I not have sworn today? I'm sorry, did I slip a little bit? A couple times. You can but edit it's those. It's like times. you get into this cathartic state and you don't realize what's uh, going okay. on. Um, I'm going to see you in two weeks, sorry. and hopefully you're ready to get into a cathartic state in a couple weeks for forward 2019. Uh, I can't wait. I'm all and, and I think and you're going to really appreciate um, uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on there. I, I thought about you. Would Greg Friedman like this? And I think you're going to like Annie O'Connor's talk about <laughs> Uh, pain classification and the yellow flag outcome measurement form as well. Nice. I can't wait. I'm looking right, forward. I had so much fun last year. I can't wait to see everybody. I got a hug waiting for you. All right, man. I'll hug you there. All right. Talk to you later. Ciao. Bye. Bye.